Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to Future of Media Explained with me, Press Gazette UK editor Charlotte Tobit and welcome back after our summer break. Today we are asking, does the future look brighter for future? And with me today is Press Gazette editor-in-chief Dominic Ponsford. Welcome back, Dom. Hi, Charlotte. It's great to be back. Yeah, thank goodness we're finally back in the podcast studio. (laughs) How was your summer? Well, it was wonderful. A couple of weeks in France and then book ended in the best way possible with a Press Gazette conference last week. <laughs> I thought you were going to mention your new dog, but you went straight for the conference. So. No, let's not, go, let's not go in on the dog. We'll save the puppy for future episodes. Or, or check out our new version of our newsletter on Substack where you'll find a picture of Dom's dog. She already mentioned our conference, the Future of Media Technology Conference at the start of September. Really good day. That's right. Yeah. And as the um, title hints, we're kicking off the new season of the podcast uh, in the way that we kicked off the conference, which was with an interview with John Steinberg, the CEO of Future, who's, um, you know, a great, great person to get and uh, someone who's got a a great kind of history in online publishing as well. Do you want to tell us, uh, for anyone who doesn't know John, tell us a bit about him. He's a pretty new arrival at Future, isn't he, relatively? Well, his claim to fame is that he's the former president of BuzzFeed and he was there for four years back in the early 2000s when they only had about 15 staff. And then he went on to be in charge of Mail Online in the US. And then most recently, he um, ran a streaming TV channel providing financial news, which he sold for a bunch of money. And he's been... um, a CEO of Future for just five months now, taking over from Zillabing Thorne, who held that job for many years and built Future up from not very much to um, the kind of publishing giant it is today. I really enjoyed the bit in the interview where you addressed how he's finding taking over from Zilla. Keep listening anyway, but I'm going to share with you my favourite quote, which stands out to me, which was he said he always asks, what would Zilla do? But then he does also keep in mind the Shakespeare line, to thine own self be true. So very balanced perspective. But it must be hard to come in after such a well-known and respected CEO. Yeah, so it's very very interesting to um, to meet him and get my impressions of him. And, uh, you know, I think he's a um, very different character from Zilla with um, a different management style, which I think comes across in the interview. And he's got a big challenge, not not just taking over from her, but taking over at a time when um, 
all the sort of financial indicators for the company have gone down a bit. So um, although they're still growing their turnover a lot, their profits down a little bit, and then in the in, in the the first six months numbers were down a bit, and as a result, the uh, the all important share price has gone down quite a bit as well. So interesting to get his take on kind of where we are now in the whole bumpy times for media stakes 2023. Yeah, perfect. So we'll go to John after the interview. We'll maybe talk a bit about what else we took away from the conference as well, shall we? But um, for now, do you want to introduce John for us? Yeah. So, um, well, I started off with an admission, which uh, <laughs> which put, put some of my questions in in a in a uh, you know in in the light of someone who's who's very interested in future. But yeah, I start off with admission and 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 with the sort of big question, which is kind of you know where are we now? Are things going to look brighter? Is the future going to brighten up a bit for future and for everyone else working in online news? Welcome, John. Thank you for having me. Yeah, great. To, well, it's great to have you here. So you took over as CEO five months ago. Five months ago, you took over from Zilla Bing Thorne, who's a regular at events like this. Yeah. Um, former CEO, Mail Online, uh, North former, America. North America. Yeah. And former president of BuzzFeed. You're telling me you had joined BuzzFeed when they had 15 staff. I was a 15th employee. We had virtually no revenue, and then I left four years later. Uh, we, we surpassed 100 million in revenue that year. We had hundreds of employees. It was uh, it, it was quite a journey. Okay, and they've been on quite a journey since then. We'll get yeah, <laughs> we'll, we'll get onto that as well. Uh, but then you and you also um, founded a streaming TV channel, Financial News, Cheddar News. That's right. 2016, uh, which successfully uh, sold for 200 million dollars a few years later, and still going. Still going strong. It is to Altice, uh, the cable company in the U.S. Altice is obviously international as well, but I sold to the U.S. Uh, division. Brilliant. Okay. Well, look, listen. Uh, futures: two hundred and fifty brands. Um, annual revenue of eight hundred million. You know, it's a big, big beast in the media jungle. Um, I think everyone knows in this room. I'm sure knows it well. I have to start with a declaration of interest, which is probably, in hindsight, a bit of a dumb thing for me to do in my position, but I invested in some future shares. Okay. So I was so bowled over by your predecessor. And to be honest, you know, I still am deeply impressed with it, but I have to, it means I have to make a declaration of interest now. But, you know, yes. but why not? If I've, I've spent enough time covering the media, let's put my money where my mouth is. Um, but, you know, for, for shareholders in future PLC, um, bit of a white knuckle ride yeah. uh, this year, not just for you guys, but across the piece. Um, investors are seem quite cautious about media shares. Um, and I'm just wondering, you know, what obviously you can't talk about your results next year or what's going on too much because you're a PLC. But what do you, what can you say about that in terms of um, why investors suddenly lack confidence in media again? Uh, whether we should be worried about that, and does that impact you guys sort of operationally to, to any extent? You know. Yeah, so you know, I would say to answer the last part of your question, operationally, it doesn't impact us. I want I want our shareholders to do well. I want you to do well. I want retirees to do well. Pension funds to do well. That, that's very important to me. I care about the, the shareholders uh, deeply. But I'm a big fan of this book called "The Score Takes Care of Itself" by Bill Walsh, who is the uh, coach of the San Francisco 49ers, American football. Um, and his basic philosophy is if you put your uniform on the right way, if you do the work, if you show up at practice on time, if you answer the phone a certain way, the score takes care of itself. And ultimately, 
you know, that is my view. If we do the things that we need to do, if we operate the business effectively, if we innovate, if we grow, everything else will take care of itself and the stock price will take care of itself. Now, let me answer your question about what I think is going on right now. I think traffic, which you, you and I were talking a little bit about Facebook turning off news in some markets. I think traffic and generative AI is a big question right now. How will publishers get visitors to their articles and their videos over time? We can talk about social media a bit because I think there's a huge opportunity there as well too. That part is in flux. I think that the overall performance of our business and the underlying financials are incredibly strong. You know, at the half year, we threw off 130 million pounds of operating profit, of which all converted into cash flow. So the business is remarkably strong. At a time where we had traffic declines, we also had the average revenue per user up double digit percentages. So advertisers were flocking to the inventory. If, if your indication of the number of sponsors you have today is, is any indication of anything, um, at this time of traffic and AI uncertainty, advertisers are flocking to high intent audiences, people that are decision makers and the like. Mm -hmm. And I guess that's uh, specialist, specialist brands provide that in a way that um, yeah, more general brands Yeah, I, I like to call it high intent media. That's the terminology that I've either borrowed or, or come up with over the past several months. Everybody who goes to one of our magazines, one of our sites, is passionate about a topic they want to read about, or they're passionate about a product they want to research and study, and they get joy from doing that. Someone's building a computer, they spend hours on Tom's hardware um, researching graphics cards and cooling engines and the like, and then make purchase consummation decisions off of our affiliate network on that. So I think that differs a lot from what I term low intent media, which I think is where there's a lot of pressure right now in the media ecosystem. Okay. So um, yeah, you mentioned Tom's um, Tom's guide. That was uh, that was that's one of the places where you've got some AI yes. experiments going on. I think you've got a chatbot on there. Yeah, um, and AI was something you talked about in the half year results. It's going to come up a lot today. Yep. I mean, just be really interested to hear where you are now internally with your thinking on generative AI yep. and how you're deploying it. If you can. So we're really doing it in, in two categories, I would say. We're doing it in what I call experiments and we're doing it in productivity enhancement. So in experiments, we've created chatbots that read the totality of a, of a site. So for example, our Tom's Hardware hardware bot um, has read the articles on Tom's Hardware. And then you can ask it questions like uh, what CPU is ideal for this computer case? And it comes back and gives you a description of your choices from the articles it's read. And so there's no hallucination, there's no false data. It's, it's read expert content and is coming up with a result from that. So that's the first category that we're experimenting in. The second is what I call productivity enhancements, where we're using it as an editorial co-pilot. We are not having AI write articles. We're having AI assist editors in pulling together things like product specifications or editing video to different formats so that we can take video that's on the site and post it to social. So that's the second category as well too. Finally, my final comment that I'll make on this is that there's a real discussion that needs to be had between publishers and Google and OpenAI to a lesser extent because and everybody has said this, and Barry Diller has said this, but these generative AIs have read from our content, have studied our content, and effectively have plagiarized our content. And I think that when you look at what they're doing, it's far less sophisticated in some ways 
than they claim it to be. It's pulled sentences, it's taken sentences. It's a, it's a little bit like what we tell our sixth graders, those of you who have children, not to do when they're reading a book and they're writing a book report. That's effectively what generative AI is doing right now to our content. Yeah, and the, um, I mean, I don't know whether you guys have put a, a position on that, but then there's, there's this question, isn't there, over whether, um whether publishers should allow it to, um, to scrape to scrape. Well, you know, with Google, it's really a conundrum because you can't block the Google crawler for AI without blocking the Google crawler for search. Mm -hmm. So they bundled together that crawler into one thing. Okay. So, you know, and I think I, maybe I've even read it in Press Gazette articles, but, you know, one, one industry media executive said, you know, you're, you're basically cutting off your traffic if you decide that you want to block the Google crawler. So I think that's something to be looked at as well, too. There really should be two Google crawlers. But even if you were to block the AI crawler, in the most recent iteration of that, they've started putting in some links. So they have made some movement towards attribution. Mm -hmm. it's, it's little icons at the end of each sentence. But, you know, you're, you're really kind of you can't, you really can't cut off the Google crawler. People have cut off the open AI crawler, but you can't cut off the Google crawler. Okay. See, we, we mentioned BuzzFeed News, and um, it's been a kind of strange year in a way for some of those sort of darlings, previous darlings of sort of me, news media or new media, BuzzFeed News, Vice Media, Courts, yep. all, all had a lot of, lot of problems. I mean, Buzz, BuzzFeed News gone out as closed, obviously BuzzFeed's mm -hmm. continuing. Yes. I mean, when you were there, 2014, you said, what, 100 million turnover for BuzzFeed, was it? Yeah, and it's significantly more now, and it's public, and you can pull the data. Yeah. I mean, their valuation, I checked BuzzFeed's valuation before yeah. I came on, $60 million. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which is, I think, 5% of what it was at its peak. So, what, I mean, what do you make of, of that? Because it's obviously a bit of um, a downer, really, isn't it? Yeah. In some ways. And it's, it seems to be falling ad yields um, and, online, and falling online page views uh, are obviously not making a good combination for a lot of consumer media. What do you make of those problems? Well, I mean, you know, it really is. BuzzFeed was built on the back of two things while I was there. The first was social traffic at a time when you were all seeing quizzes on Facebook and clicking through the BuzzFeed and doing the, the and Facebook had decided it wanted to send a lot of traffic to publishers. And during my time at BuzzFeed, the traffic that Facebook was sending to publishers in aggregate eclipsed the traffic for a period of time that Google was sending, which is really kind of miraculous. Mm. You know. Facebook has basically made the decision that they don't want to send traffic off-site, right? And certainly they don't want to send it to news. As you and I were talking about, and I referenced earlier, they've several markets now, they've said they're going to basically turn off news. What this has created is the only way, and this is something we're working on now, the only way to gather audience and gather traffic in social is short-form video. Instagram Reels, uh, TikTok, YouTube Shorts, Facebook proper, they're not sending out traffic. And so if you want to reach those audiences where they are, those are effectively now short form video platforms. The only way to really make money on those platforms is to do branded content because the checks they write are basically non-existent or insignificant. So it's really been a seismic change for the people that were riding on social traffic, which is why, again, back to where we sit, we sit on high intent. We sit on people searching out, wanting something, wanting to read an article, wanting to explore a passion. Not, we're, not, we're not beholden to the whims of something appearing in a Facebook feed and someone saying, oh, I've seen this quiz. Now I'll, I'll just take this quiz because I'm, I'm looking for something to do. No one who goes to a future site is looking for something to do. They're looking for a specific thing. And just out of interest, what do you think Facebook's 
playing at? I mean, what do you think their game is, as far as you can tell? I mean, you know, they've been pretty clear about it. They, they think that, and, you know, Adam Osseri, who is one of their product managers on Threads, talked about how Threads will not be a place for news. I think that between the political climate and the fact that they feel that, according to them, and I couldn't disagree more, um, you know, they feel people don't want news on Facebook, and they also don't want to pay for news. So those two things have made them effectively, you know, in the process or exited of news. Okay. I mean, that, I mean, you know, inferring what their game is, I mean, you know, they've, they've basically told us what their game is. Well, so one, one of the big um, themes of today um, that people hope to get out of it, I think, is new, new revenue streams for, for publishers, really. You know, yeah. We're trying to work out how people can turn a buck so invest in, to, and so invest in more journalism. At Future, I think affiliate advertising has been a big thing, obviously, for you guys, but it's been a little bit under pressure. And I think it's, correct me if I'm wrong, quite susceptible to changes in algorithms because people are searching for stuff. Um, so I'm just interested in sort of general question, really, about what's the revenue mix looking like and what are the growing positive sort of revenue lines that you guys are looking at at the moment? So um, affiliate is a third of our revenue. A third of our revenue is digital advertising and a third of our revenue is print. And within that print third, half is advertising in print and half is subscriptions in print. So that's the broad breakout. You know, at the half year, our ECPM, our effective conversion, on affiliate products was, was up 7%. So it was actually, on a unit basis, increasing during that period. I am confident that when people are researching a $500 graphics card, a $700 pound dress to wear for the spring on one of our fashion sites like Marie Claire or Who What Wear, they're going to want to read product guides and reviews. And doing a search and getting a bunch of Google boxes, I mean, yeah, maybe for a five pound lipstick, yep. that will be adequate. But from what our users tell us and from what we see, people want to do deep research and they don't, I mean, I don't know about you, but I've never seen a Google shopping result for anything of, of substantive price and just been like, click buy. Yeah. People want to read multiple reviews. So I think that our affiliate business is surprisingly resilient. And the other side of our affiliate business is the affiliate services business, which is largely Go Compare and Mozo in Australia. And that business was up 4% in the half year. And now 35% of revenue for Go Compare comes from categories outside car insurance, which has typically been what you all think about Go Compare for. So I think that, that comparative shopping engines, I think that uh, affiliate review guides and the like are unbelievably resilient, especially at times where the consumer is pressured and every pound has to go further than it went before. Okay. When we've um, researched our readers, um, sort of senior decision makers in media, because we want to f find out what, what bothers them, keeps them up at night, the thing they tend to come back with is their biggest challenge is the human challenge. So technology's always changing, but it, the, the biggest challenge is how you sort of lead teams through this sort of technological change, you know, bring, bringing them along with you. I'm just wondering how you approach the kind of leadership piece, especially yeah. given you've come at you, your position, you've taken over from someone in the job for a long time, big personality, yep. and made a big impact on the business. Uh, how, how have you approached that over the last few months? Well, first of all, Zilla's shoes are unbelievably large to fill. And what she built over nine years is nothing short of miraculous, right? Um, in terms of taking a company that was so tiny and building it into you know, a multi-billion pound enterprise. 
so that I, I do sometimes think, you know, what would Zilla do? But um, most of the time, I like the Shakespeare line, to thy own self be true. And I try to adhere to that. My preferred way for working um, is to be in the soil, working the garden side by side on products and, and efforts that require a great deal of innovation, and then hand it off to the individual that's responsible for it. Be a partner to them initially during times of great innovation, and then allow them the autonomy to go forward and do it. And also, I believe in what I call a thousand flowers blooming, which is I really want our SLT, our senior leadership team and our executive leadership team to be part of the decisions and the creation of ideas so that they can push it forward. People are bought into things when they're part of making the decision. They're not part of things as much when they're just told what to do. And you also don't really know if they've bought into it if you've just dictated or mandated. Hi, I'm Anoush, and I host the New Statesman podcast. Twice a week, we get under the skin of Westminster to help understand what's going on and what's going to happen next. We interview politicians, policymakers, and people on the front line to get you the full story behind the headlines. Plus, hear from our award-winning editorial team, including political editor Andrew Marr, to get to the bottom of what on earth is happening. Listen to the New Statesman podcast. You can subscribe now wherever you get your podcasts. If anyone's got any questions. Hey there. Trey Burke. I, I think uh, there's a um, window of opportunity in every industry. And as industries change, there are in windows that open and windows that close. I completely agree. And um, I think one window has shut and another is opening. Uh, I would like some thoughts on that, which is, I think, ChatGPT. And so OpenAI has actually got plugins, if you're familiar with those. Uh, which means that a third-party provider can add their own service within ChatGPT. Or so it'd be interesting to see where the news or the, the journalist, you know, community or media community goes and takes advantage of that or not. Because I think yeah, it's, it's basically an opening of a new window. Okay. So, so what? So, so my question is like, what what do you think are I the think, opportunities yeah, there? Yeah, I I think that social and TikTok, TikTok in particular, but obviously Instagram as well. So I'm, I'm not directly answering your question because to be honest, I see more opportunities in social right now. We have 180 million social followers. We've done relatively little to monetize in that place. It's a diversification away from Google and it presents opportunities for us to create short form video, a lot of which we can repurpose from video we're already creating on the site. We bought a company called Barcroft Studios that's expert in video creation a number of years ago, so we're well positioned to do it. And so now the challenge is to create content on social and monetize off-platform with branded content. And we already have a brand, Who, What, Where, that we acquired a year back that's brilliant at doing this. So I think that at a time where Google is in flux, you have to look to other green fields and I see in this other social media opportunity a tremendous greenfield for us to create branded content and monetize there. Okay. 
Thank you. I've worked out to you Slido now, so if anyone's got any more questions, brilliant. Or if anyone's got any in the room. Good, yeah. a lot of questions. Well, this is an eager crowd. Hi, I'm Daniel from Voice of Slam Radio. Um, my question is also on AI. You mentioned that the, uh, what we have on AI at the moment is not very sophisticated. What do you think is the direction of travel there? Do you, do you expect this to, to improve? Or do you expect the, um, uh, the humans to be smarter than AI? Well, my favorite example on the humans is we test mattresses. We test TVs. We test graphics cards. We test all these products, okay? And then write reviews about those products. Until the AI sprouts arms and is able to actually test a product, the bulk of what it's going to be doing is what one of our writers calls a plagiarism stew, basically, right? And so I think that the AI in the search engines can be unbelievably disruptive and present a challenge to us in terms of traffic acquisition. There's no doubt about that. But I think that the end product that it's creating right now is, is deeply unsatisfying. And I'm not really sure what the purpose of it is. I'm not really sure what the purpose of a paragraph that summarizes other people's content in a half effective way, I'm not really sure what the point of that is, you know, other than a way for Google to keep more traffic on site and send less traffic off site. I mean, which I assume is the goal. Like it. It's an emperor's new clothes moment. I like it. <laughs> yeah. Um, we've got some more questions here. Uh, thank you so much. Um, you talked a little bit before, uh, and tell me if I'm wrong, if I misheard you, about using AI to reformat video for different social platforms. Can yes. you talk a little bit about what software you're using there or what the workflow is of that? I don't even know the name of it, but I do know that they told me what it's able to do is, so you have mostly vertical video format in social, you have mostly landscape format when you put it on a site. It's able to identify where the key moments are, where the people are moving, and cut and reformat so that it fits on a vertical platform. I mean, that's a very simplified type example, but we're, we're finding all sorts of, you know, Australia is where we're doing the bulk of the testing right now, which is product specifications. So the AI will generate, we'll ask the AI, what are the specifications of this product? How many megahertz does it have? How much storage does it have? And the like. It generates that. The editor checks and confirms because you have to, because the AI gets stuff wrong and then we'll put it into a formal product review or guide. So those are kind of the ways that we're using it right now, which is what, you know, what, what I call the productivity enhancement type, type vehicles. Brilliant, that's a question there. Thank you, hi, uh, James Hughes from FIP. You spoke about the revenue mix that you've got at the moment, that one third, one third, one third, yeah. I think we've all become very familiar with. Do you see a role in the future for paid content and digital subscriptions to become a part of that revenue mix? Do you think it'll ever be significant for you? That's one of my favorite topics right now. So. Yes, I, I think paid, there's only two ways to make money in media. Advertising, which affiliate is a form of advertising, and digital subscriptions, like uh, subscriptions. We've done a brilliant job of cultivating print subscriptions. Print subscriptions are a sixth of our revenue. We need to now begin the journey that has been pioneered by the likes of the New York Times and the FT and others and start on that journey of developing paid digital subscription products. I don't know right now, as I sit here today, how long it will take for it to be significant, but I know that it's a journey that we must get started on, and we are started on that journey now. We have our own technology at Future called Kiosk, which is our own paywall technology. 
Um, we've rolled it out in small order on a few sites. The numbers are very tiny right now, uh, but it is one of a handful of strategic initiatives that's very top of mind for me. Okay, so we're gonna take one more question from the room and then I'll just give you, we've got time, I have to make it really quick though, sorry. Thanks, for that. that was a really, really interesting session. Just a quick one, on the AI, uh, use of AI, the future must surely have an enormous archive and an incredible amount of data and information. Are you saying, John, that you don't see a world in which AI will enhance the use of that content and allow you to do more things with it for users and customers? Oh, perhaps I misspoke. I don't, quite frankly, see a world where AI replaces writers. I, I, don't, I don't see that possibility, given, given that what AI is really okay at doing is taking existing written content and summarizing it basically. The AI doesn't really come up with anything that's original. So that's what I don't see the opportunity in. I do think in productivity enhancements, like I mentioned a moment ago, I do see an opportunity in doing that. And with the chatbots that we've launched, they're effectively doing precisely what you said. They're reading all the articles and they're summarizing our editorial content and IP and presenting it in basically a better version of search to the end user. Okay, one, one quick question. What's the um, future, future's obviously bought a huge amount of companies over the years, that's, that's been how you've grown to a large extent. What's the outlook for your M&A over the um, Well, what I can talk about is what we most recently did, which is we, we announced a 45 million pound stock buyback. Mm -hmm. and. I like to think of that as M&A. I like to think of that as an acquisition. The company that we were most excited about buying at a price we were most excited about buying it just so happened to be ourselves. Now, M&A will continue to be an important part of the mix going forward, but right now we're very excited about the stock buyback. Brilliant. We've run out of time, exactly on time. Exactly thank on you. time. Thank you so much, John. Pleasure. Great to see you. Cheers, Great thank you. Thank you, Dom, and thank you to John Steinberg, an amazing fireside chat to start off the conference. So how did you feel about Future and about John after that interview? Well, he comes across as a, a safe pair of hands, I think. He's obviously a good communicator, very competent. Um, I felt, you know, I felt reasonably confident after speaking to him. And um, he had, had a few analogies for us, didn't he? Uh, a few metaphors. And I liked the one about, there was a sporting one about you know, turning up for practice and wearing the right kit and doing the right things. And if you carry on doing that, then the share price and everything else will follow. And I think I got what he was driving at in the sense that, you know, doing this job for a long time, you see good brands will out, good companies will out, and they have bumpy times and, you know, bad times. But um, the trajectory is generally upwards for them. You know, unless you're in the regional press, where that's been a bit of a down, bit of a downward trajectory. But um, you know, good companies, you know, with big big brands like Futures got, you know, good business model. They've got good tech, and I'm and I'm sure they're going to, you know, continue their sort of growth trajectory once we've got through this current bumpy time. Yeah, I'm sure that will be a reassuring message to lots of companies who have had a tough year or so. What did you make of him compared to Zilla? Well, obviously Zilla, you know. A uh, long-time friend of the show, as we say. You know, we, we've interviewed her a few times. And I think, um, as far as I can tell, as far as I can glean, quite, I'd say he's quite a different character. I got the impression with Zilla, she was very much uh, someone who had a very clear vision about what she wanted to happen. And, uh, you know, heaven forbid if you didn't make that happen. I think she was very sort of hands-on and, uh, 
you know, very good at sort of keeping everyone on on mission. And I, I got the impression with John, you know, that phrase he used, um, let a thousand flowers bloom. He's he's more someone to, um, you know, set out the expectations and then, uh, you know, let the teams get on with it. So as far as I could tell, maybe a bit more of a collegiate approach uh, than Zilla. And I hope I'm not doing anyone a disservice there, but that's, that was just the impression I got. He's a bit more let's uh, set everything in, in place and sort of support people to get on with it, but maybe not being quite such a sort of transmission type manager as I, as I suspect Zilla was one well, you know that's just my looking at it from the outside but you know we'll know in November when the scores are on the doors and um we get the uh, future full year results and um I imagine a bit like a football manager as well you know unless those if those results don't start improving soon that's going to be you know that's going to be very tough for him because uh, you know the shareholders obviously want to see that improve and see things turn around so yeah we'll Watch this space, but uh, you know, so far so good. And it was, I thought he was an impressive character, and uh, it, was, it was great to meet him. Yeah, really great to have him at the start of the conference. Some of the themes that came up, obviously, AI you discussed with him, and he said social video is kind of a bigger opportunity right now, um, which I thought was an interesting angle as well. Both those things came up at other points during the conference, in particular, AI. We had two dedicated panels to AI, but it pretty much came up at every possible opportunity. The only person I can remember specifically not mentioning AI was Simon Reagan Edwards, the product director at the Daily Mail. Uh, he talked about Mail Plus. He didn't talk about AI, but pretty much everyone else did. I thought, yeah, I thought everyone had interesting things to say about it. And in contrasting compared to maybe conferences of six months ago, where I think everyone was a bit rabbit in the headlights and, uh, you know, just keen to say, yeah, 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 we're doing lots of AI, yeah, yeah. Now it seemed a bit more like, well, actually, you know, this tech has a lot of limitations. It can only do so much. You know, it's never going to replace reporters, but yeah, it's a useful assistant and it's got some good productivity advantages. So it sounded like he was fairly sort of clear-eyed about about that. I think the one thing that kind of raised my eyebrows a little bit was when he talked about online subscriptions and he sort of said that that uh, future's on the start of the journey with that, which is... um a bit surprising to hear when you think what amazing brands they've got and what a big theme subscriptions have been for quality media over the last few years. So you kind of expect them to be a bit further on on the journey than that. I guess, haven't they? They've been building a big e-commerce model, so maybe they thought, let's concentrate on that first and then see if subscriptions is needed after that. Yeah. You you don't need to do it all at once. Yeah, and and they're sort of exclusive in a way because e-commerce is all about biggest reach isn't it because then, you, then you'll get people to buy things when they're on the site yeah exactly um and i think yeah it's as the e-commerce side of the business has come under pressure this year you can see why they've had to pivot towards subscriptions a bit yeah definitely so for some of those ai insights we should say by the time you hear this there'll be a very comprehensive uh roundup from our reporter Bran about lots of the things about ai that were said some practical stuff about what people are actually doing rather than just kind of fluffy yeah this is why we think it could be good or bad so i'd recommend that and then we'll have several other pieces about the conference and sort of lessons that people have shared as well so this has been future of media explained with me press gazette uk editor charlotte tobit and press gazette editor-in-chief dominic ponsford produced for the first time by our reporter bron Marr. 
we will be back in a fortnight so see you soon but in the meantime please do subscribe like review share with your friends and colleagues and see you soon